0: After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby! Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please
1: move in. please move and play oh, the I'm not going to that I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on man and okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch Good checking, guys. That's
0: good play. It's the middle of May. Normally, we would be in the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs, but instead, we are nearing the beginning of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But you know what? Let's not talk about that. Let's not. Let's not worry about that. The playoffs are imminent, and we should be excited. And I, I know I'm excited to begin the tournament. I don't care that it's going to go deeper into the summer. That just means maybe you pull the TV outside and watch out on the patio for a while, Shosh.
1: Hey, that sounds nice. Get a little uh, get a little campfire going back there, get a little fire pit, to get the, the projector if you've got one. And that sounds like a nice evening.
0: And it it kind of does, doesn't it? This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped. There are special savings available for you with our partnership with Manscaped. If you use the code REFS, and you should, because it is very worth your while. You will save 20% on your order and receive free shipping. You know, as we are arriving at the end of the regular season, I think, Josh, it's it's time for a very important message. I guess it's sort of a public service message, if you will. But as the regular season comes to an end and the start of the playoffs, for some years now, the custom has begun for playoff beards and this is where participants continue to go unshaven and ungroomed until their team is eliminated. I'm not sure how this nonsense began but it has been embraced as one of the lovable traditions of the Stanley Cup. Going unshaven and ungroomed really can lead to well shall we say unruly ugly and kind of funky situations
1: wouldn't you agree? absolutely uh, i I think it things get a little hairy for lack of yes. a better term
0: <laughs> yes they 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 do it 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 gets messy, and we don't care for this, and it is the perfect lead in to do not even think about getting rid of those personal grooming rituals, where your manscaped tools. Are most useful. We we have tried to remind you how great these products are: the lawnmower, the weed whacker, the crop reviver, the crop cleanser, the crop preserver, the crop exfoliator, and all the others. Don't let those close to you regret their decision to get close to you by allowing the playoff overgrowth to continue. I think that's maybe the best way to put that <laughs> safety message.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a good one too. You know, you want to enjoy the playoffs, but you also want to enjoy your time. While the playoffs are, are going on and, and that that type of unkempt growth might, might restrict the amount of enjoyment you can take out of the time during the postseason. Exactly. Don't miss out on the opportunity to save.
0: Go to the website now, manscaped.com. Use the code REFS. Get 20% off and get free shipping. Please make sure you're following our social channels. For Josh, it's at ScoutingTheRefs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and on Instagram. Emails, of course, welcome as well. Ref at ScoutingTheRefs.com. On this week's episode, take that knee back. End of season message sending. Big fines. Pat Maroon goes Ogie Oglethorpe. No hands allowed. And we were hoping to talk about the officials that... We'll be working the Stanley Cup playoffs, but we don't have an actual list yet because it's going to be interesting to see when the playoffs start in both countries, isn't it, (laughs)
1: Josh? Yeah, we can't have the roster announced when we've still got regular season action happening. So be a little uh, a little disjointed there, but we will have playoffs and that means we will have playoff officials.
0: Yes. And still to be determined, but congratulations to those that will make the, the NHL postseason. And also congratulations to a couple that are calling it a career at the end of the regular season.
1: For sure. And uh, you, you got me thinking, though, Todd, before we get into the retiring folks. OK. Playoff beards are, are a thing for players, but we haven't seen any facial hair on an official since Bill, <laughs> Bill McCreary retired. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm thinking if they can't do beards, I think the official should bring back the playoff stash at least.
0: Oh, kind of the Movember for playoffs sort of thing? Yeah, I'd I'd like
1: to see that from an officiating standpoint. I think it'd be fun, but sadly, two officials we, we won't have growing that playoff stash this year. Well, of course, we've, we've seen that Tim Peel retired earlier this season, and then we send off linesman Pierre Rassico and Tony Saracolo, both working their final games this past weekend. So some lengthy careers for both. Saracolo hit 1,500 games. Rasico over 2,000 combined regular season and playoffs. So some amazing careers for both of them. Nice to see them get a good send off before they hang up their skates. Congrats on some brilliant careers there for Rasico and Saracolo. Congratulations guys on wonderful careers.
0: We did have another incident worth noting this week. We have pointed this out on numerous occasions. You had it up on your social media earlier this week. It was Leon Dreisaitl with the, uh, what's being termed now as the dangerous trip. This one on Yoel Armia, the Montreal Canadiens. Sure looked like a slew foot to me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i i love that dangerous trip is the new code word for slew foot it's the, <laughs> the politically correct way to say it and i get player safety looks at the definition of a slew foot and it's it's very restrictive so if they were only going to penalize or or give disciplinary action based on a, a slew foot it, maybe it, it doesn't give them as many options so they have that tripping call at their disposal. And I think they leverage it frequently. But holy cow, how many times are we going to see a slew foot that they're calling a dangerous trip? Let's call it what it is. It's a slew foot. It is a dangerous trip, but it also deserves a greater penalty than simply a trip that is maybe a little more dangerous than normal.
0: If you would like to see an example of a dangerous trip, then I would refer you to the Minnesota Wild and St. Louis Blues game earlier this week where Ryan Hartman of the Minnesota Wild dumped Sammy Blay of the St. Louis Blues in a nasty one. Both are skating back in toward the wild zone, Blay is on the forecheck, and, and Hartman just gives his leg a shove from behind. That's a cheap, dirty play.
1: And that is absolutely a dangerous trip. That was not at all a slew foot. This was a cheap shot and one that, that could be very dangerous to the player, could result in injury, one that needs to be penalized and deserves some supplemental discipline. So I, I think they got that one right. I think that's a just like you said, Todd, It's a it's a cheap shot.
0: And it cost Ryan Hartman $5,000. I wouldn't be adverse to having a one-game suspension for that either, but I suspect because it was the final regular season game, it would have meant suspending for a playoff game sort of kind of tempered that one down a bit.
1: Yeah, I think that. And when player safety is looking at these things, they're looking to see, you know, does that act rise to the level of supplemental discipline? And probably based on the the severity, the the dangerous nature of the play, while they don't want to see it happen... May not have been severe enough, but certainly something that they'd want to address. And, and they chose the fine, but I don't know how impactful it is. I, I I'd love to see a stronger penalty, at least in game, if it doesn't result in a suspension. But uh, man, just scary to watch and just, a, just an ugly shot by Hartman.
0: I think we should talk about the severity of penalties a little bit later on in this podcast because there's a couple of other circumstances that occurred this week that might warrant maybe looking at the overall discipline level here on this edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. It is powered by Manscaped. Use our code REFS on your order. Receive 20% off and free shipping. As the NHL regular season winds down, sometimes the schedule works out in funny ways, and you have two teams fighting for a playoff spot that end up facing each other and creates a pretty cool vibe. Sometimes it plays out differently, like it did in Florida. The Panthers and Lightning were already determined to be facing each other in the opening round of the postseason, which has never happened before, which I am thrilled about, and I'm really anxious to watch the series. But I I think it it was a little bit bumpy getting there. It resulted in a bunch of player safety rulings as teams decided they were going to, how should we put this, Josh, um, set the tone or send a message before the series? Because there were a lot of guys that got involved in a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah, some, uh, some rough stuff, some stick work and uh, some some battles that fought their way all the way out to when they were being escorted to the penalty box, which, uh, you know, didn't work out well for either player in that situation.
0: But does make for good video social media (laughs) contact. So what occurred here is Brandon Montour got fined $5,000 for spearing lightning forward Patrick Maroon. And understandably so. Montour was given a slashing penalty. Now, this is the same incident that caused Patrick Maroon to get a little agitated, excited, and wound up extricating himself from the guidance of the linesman as he was headed towards the penalty box and wound up jumping Montour. Um, there may have been a little chirping going on between the two as they were making their way to the penalty box. I don't know if you saw that, but what, it, what resulted was is a hearing for Maroon, and he got suspended for one game the second game of the back-to-back between Florida and Tampa. And and I think you have to do that in this particular case.
1: I, I think you do. I think it's it's just one of those times of de-escalating things or, or keeping the guy out of the lineup because what he did wasn't appropriate. You don't want those revenge games. But we saw it happen with Tom Wilson with the Rangers there of, you know, guys just going after somebody because of an incident in one game. And if it deserved discipline, which this one did, then I think you have to take action. So th- what made the situation a little bit different, especially in the NHL's ruling on how this played out, came down to 46-5, which is under the fighting rule. Any player who persists in continuing an altercation after he has been ordered by the referee to stop or who resists a linesman in the discharge of his duties shall incur a misconduct or game misconduct penalty in addition to any penalties. And that's what player safety looked at as, hey, this guy's escalating the situation. It's broken up. The players have been separated. They're going to the boxes, and Maroon takes it upon himself to fight his way away from retiring linesman Pierre Asico, who who really didn't need this kind of agitation as he's riding no, off into the no. sunset here. But because he broke loose and and re-engaged, you know, they they point to that part as as you know, why is this a suspendable offense? What is it? It you know, it wasn't a sucker punch. He dropped the gloves, through a punch, mostly got a fistful of face there, but it was under the fighting rule for continuing the fight despite the linesman's instructions as he's guiding into the box of that was what they felt rose to the level of supplemental discipline. And 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 I think so. I think you got to stand up for the officials on the ice. And, and when you have a guy breaking free from an official, you're going to come down a little bit harder.
0: I completely agree with you. He was not entangled with the official. He was being guided toward the penalty box, as is normally the case after an altercation. One linesman pairs up with each of the participants and guide them toward their respective penalty boxes. But again, there was a little chirping going on, and that's when Maroon decided he'd had enough and he was going to, as you say, continue to escalate the situation. But It strikes me, and you reference the name Tom Wilson, but my understanding is the Department of Player Safety chose to suspend Maroon because of the totality of his actions, and it was for unsportsmanlike conduct. So you mean that there was a way to keep a second game between two rivals from turning into a bit of a gong show? I'm, I'm not sure what... What recent
1: game may have fallen into
0: similar <laughs> circumstances? Can you think of one that
1: I I can I can think of one that set a season high record in penalty minutes that resulted from an altercation following an altercation from a previous game. So one does come to mind, strangely enough.
0: Yes, I'm. I'm. I'll have to look that up in the in the next little while. There was a, there was another incident in the game as well. Mackenzie Weger also incurred a five thousand dollar fine for a high sticking forward Matthew Joseph. So. These two teams, as we mentioned, will be meeting up in the first round of the playoffs. How do officials, referees and linesmen approach this set of back-to-back games, knowing that there is a playoff series coming as well? This this goes down to a bit of pre-scouting and awareness and meetings before the game, as we've talked about a little bit, I think, too.
1: Yeah, it absolutely does. and And that's the kind of thing that you know, they're going to have the same conversations going into the playoff series, whichever officials get it, and we will expect to see ref pairings throughout the opening round as as we typically do through the postseason. So for these two games back to back that we saw between the Panthers and the Lightning, we had Frederick Lecuille and we had Kelly Sutherland, so you did have back to back games with the same officiating crew and i I think that type of experience is what we've seen this season with how the pairings work. And that's what we typically see in the first round. So you'll see those guys repeating. You may see back-to-back games with the same officiating crews, and you'll certainly have an officiating supervisor assigned to each series who's going to debrief whichever guys are taking the ice that night on what happened last game. What do we need to watch out for? Hey, what happened with Maroon and Montour last weekend? What did we see with Uyghur? Which guys do we know are going to have the potential to blow up here? So it's things that the officials pass on, but that officiating supervisor who watches over the series will be responsible for conveying those across the officials that are working the various games. So something that they'll pay very close attention to, even more so given how these past two games went over the weekend.
0: Yes, I think it could be a very interesting series in Florida between the Panthers and the Lightning. And and as you said, the officiating supervisor who will see every game will brief the officials beforehand as well. There was another fine that occurred. Joel Edmondson was fined $1,000 for tripping John Tavares of the Maple Leafs earlier in the week. That is an awful lot of money that's been collected by player safety this past week. They should be able to have a pretty good end of season party, don't you think?
1: (laughs) Hey, you want to have the big barbecue over the summer? you got to fund it somehow, right? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Wow. Um, There is another suspension that I wanted to talk about as well. goes back a little bit. Zach McEwen of the Vancouver Canucks was dinged for a game for kneeing Oilers defenseman Darnell Nurse. It was a pretty easy call to suspend for a game when you watch the video. And you see that McEwen is pretty guilty here. The two players collide at center ice and... Defenseman Darnell Nurse goes down to the ice, and it's at this point that McEwen heads toward Nurse and kind of sticks his knee out. This is kneeing, but this is also pretty stupid, and it makes perfect sense that he gets thrown out for a game.
1: Yeah, I actually could have. I, I could have gone more. I, I know he mm-hmm. he'll sit for the game, and and that was well deserved. Uh, you definitely don't want to allow a player. To intentionally knee an opponent in the head when they're down on the ice. You know, certainly we saw that there was physical contact, the, the players, there was, you know, there was a hit at center ice. And then we get McEwen delivering the knee to Nurse's head. I thought it was interesting that player safety gave one game, but in their suspension announcement, mentioned that lack of injury was the only thing keeping this from a substantial suspension. And I understand that. And it's it's fortunate that Nurse wasn't injured. And I know that player safety has often looked at the outcome or injury on a play when adding to the games once they've decided to issue a suspension. But to me, one game isn't enough. This isn't a hockey play. This isn't something where it was a late hit or a high stick or a swing at a puck or something that went wrong on a hockey play. This was a player intentionally extending his knee to deliver contact to a player that was in a vulnerable position. To me, Todd, this starts at three games. Any intent to injure, and I would deem this intent to injure, no matter how forceful the contact was, no matter how much the player was actually injured, all that McEwen is trying to do on this play is to injure Darnell Nurse. And and I would start at three games and go up from there.
0: I'm okay with that. I think that's a, a reasonable minimum standard, which, as I say, it makes me think, do we need a higher minimum standard? Instead of starting at one game, do we start at a couple of games? Do we look at other incidents such as the nasty, dirty cheap shot that Ryan Hartman did on Sammy Blay? It's it's a trip, but it's really more of a shove causing him to spill. Do we need to look at Broader incidents, and I—I I mean, I'd have no problem if if Ryan Hartman was suspended. I don't care that it's a playoff game. I think I think we need to look at at those and penalize them a little more severely. I don't. In fact, I—I guess it's I'm saying I don't think the five thousand dollar fines work as a deterrent, and I think it needs to be higher.
1: No, I think the five thousand dollars just gets you on the naughty list of hey, you did something wrong. It's a, a cursory acknowledgement, but it really doesn't do anything for the players, especially you know, these guys are making millions a year. So five thousand dollars is a drop in the bucket. I think it's funny, Todd, you, you know, you, we talk about minimum suspension length and you want to be careful because you don't want to make it so that the league doesn't give that suspension. Oh, if we classify it as a right. legal check to the head, it's got to be five games, but this wasn't that bad. So we're going to call it boarding. So you don't want to reclassify things to get there. But I think when you've got plays that are intent to injure away from the play, a non hockey play, I think you need to come down harder. And I think you brought up a great example when we were, when we were chatting earlier look back a few years to when james neal got five games for kneeing brad marchand and right Brandon shanahan who was the director of player safety at the time said and i love this explanation neal had a clear view of marchand on the ice and did not attempt to get out of his way he didn't say he deliberately went for his head he didn't say the player was in a vulnerable position all he said was clear view of the guy on the ice didn't get out of the way and drove his knee into his head that's exactly what happened on the McEwen play. I could argue that McEwen made more of an intent to make contact there, but uh, we obviously didn't have the injury on the play. However, you know, one game versus five games, I look at at that being intent to injure. Let's let's start for a play that was a non-hockey play. Let's start for a play that was intentionally looking to injure an opponent, and, and let's let's raise the bar for those at a minimum.
0: And I guess this is where the argument comes in is how much of an impact does the injury of a player impact the ruling? Certainly, it's taken into consideration, and the Department of Player Safety has said that on numerous occasions previously. But it's it's a struggle to decide how much of an impact it should have on the suspension, because what if a player is injured and out for months at a time? You can't really suspend a player for the same length of time as an injury the way some suggest let's clarify again too that the five thousand dollar fine is a maximum and that is a negotiated amount as part of the collective bargaining agreement so there's no changing that for years to come but there there are ways that you can punish players that i think the message would be better sent
1: yeah i i think for the league to not be able to change that fine amount they need to look at it and say you know what it's not working so we we can move the bar on what we consider suspendable offenses Because we do have those tools at our disposal without renegotiating a CBA or or changing agreements there with the Players Association. So I I think they've got the tools. I I think certainly there's a reluctance to start cracking down on things. But after the season, I'd love for player safety to sit down and and really say, look, we're, we're going to set the bar here. These types of things that are suspendable offenses, we're... we might not put it in black and white. We might not put a standard out there for the world, but these we're going to look at a little harder than these. And, you know, we might have some internal minimums that we start to think about when it comes to what happened on the play and what type of suspension is justified. Because like you said, Todd, the fines don't work. I
0: like that approach too, is that this is something that, It's not one side that's trying to impose their will on the other. I think this is something that should be jointly embraced by the league and the Players Association. Look, everybody talks about not wanting dirty plays, cheap plays. And players will quickly list off three or four or five in particular that they're not fond of. So why don't we get both sides on board and do what we can to eliminate those plays?
1: Well, it's it's so funny. You mentioned it's not one side against the other. The Players Association is the ones who attend these hearings to defend the player who committed the infraction. Oh, it wasn't that bad. Or, or you know, mm-hmm. we try to play it down so it doesn't result in more of a suspension. Well, where's the other Players Association guy who's advocating for the player that was the victim? Where's the guy saying, hey, you could have ended his season with that move? I think we need a more severe punishment. You know, you don't hear player safety pushing for harder guidelines to help protect those players. It really seems that they're always trying to defend the guy who committed the infraction and not necessarily sticking up for a Connor McDavid or a Sammy Blay or somebody else who fell victim to one of these suspendable offenses.
0: Here, here. Okay, a couple of other quick things to sneak in before we wrap up this edition. Uh, both occurred in the Ottawa-Toronto game the other night. Shane Pinto, on a faceoff, got the rare call against using his hand to play the puck on the faceoff. This change came a while back. Uh, the two players got tangled up, fell to the ice, and Pinto nudged the puck away with his hand and was quickly whistled for the offense.
1: I always love when that one gets called and... Everybody acts like they've never seen it before. It's such a rare (laughs) penalty and we don't have it happen. You know, it's there. It's in the book. I would think that every player who's taking faceoffs is aware of that rule. And if not, they certainly should be because it's one that the officials are looking for every draw throughout the season. So uh, (laughs) I feel like every time it comes up, it's a rarity, but it's come up pretty frequently this year. And I think each team and each player who's done it has, uh, has been a little surprised to see that result in a penalty. What? Me? Really? Exc- I didn't know that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Off-season <laughs> recommended reading. The rule book. Yes, rule
0: book. <laughs> um, also, it, there was a situation, too, in the same game that got me thinking. When the referee's arm goes up, the puck goes in, the penalized team takes possession of the puck, the penalty is wiped. Well, it happened in this game. It was It was a nice play by Parker Kelly, who was playing in his first NHL game. He jumped on a loose puck, snuck it in behind the goaltender, cool moment, as always. It was on a delayed penalty call. And of course, the penalty was wiped out. But it got me thinking again, maybe the team should still be penalized, even if a goal is scored on a delayed penalty. Your thoughts?
1: I think it's an interesting take. And and, I've debated this plenty of times with folks who agree strongly and who disagree equally as strongly that they're effectively putting a team on the power play because they can't play the puck during the delayed call. So they've got that advantage already. However, it isn't the power play. The penalty hasn't been assessed. The guy's mm-hmm. still on the ice. So it, it, it is a time when the opposing team can't touch the puck. And there are those other circumstances that come up throughout the game on maybe a delayed offside or a puck played with a high stick when you've got a situation where a team can't play the puck without drawing a whistle. So those happen it just happens to be that this one's for a penalty, and I, I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily like the guy getting off the hook. There was no power play goal scored. There was no drawn penalty there, which there absolutely should have been by Kelly on the play. It all gets wiped out because the goal is scored, and uh, you know, I, I think those guys earned the pims, and I think they should serve them.
0: I don't know. It's something worth discussing and debating. The oh goal wait, counts. Todd. I, yes. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt you, but
1: as I was saying, that maybe I maybe I have an interim solution. Okay. Let's say they score on the delayed penalty call. Okay, if that counts as your power play goal, it still doesn't wipe out the fact that a player committed an infraction. I say we keep the teams 5-on-5 on on the ice, but the guy who committed the penalty, he stays off for two minutes. We put him in the box, as we would for a 10-minute misconduct. No loss in manpower on the ice because the goal was scored, but now that guy's still got to serve those two minutes by himself.
0: Well, isn't that interesting? It's a way that the goal can count and the penalty counts, too.
1: I I think I'm going to put that one out there. I got to call the league. <laughs> the Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.